This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Pakman Show, The Majority Report, Counterspin, The Young Turks, The Progressive, Mumia Abu-Jamal, and Citizen Radio. And a note that people are about to start talking about Israel, so no matter what your perspective, everyone should get ready to be angry about something. The day after two rockets were fired at Tel Aviv in Israel, two rockets have landed near Jerusalem. This was Friday evening their time, just a few hours ago here uh, in, uh, on the east coast of the U.S. No injuries or damage. We do now know that uh, Israel has asked to mobilize 75,000 troops for what they say may be a ground operation. Things escalating very, very quickly over there. What's going to happen? What will be U.S. involvement? We still don't know. The rocket is believed to have fallen in the Judean desert, which is near the, the area of Takua. This is not yet 100% confirmed. Uh, two hours earlier, several hours earlier, two rockets were fired from the Gaza Strip in the direction of the greater Tel Aviv area. This brought on a red alert air raid siren. This was the second straight day. Uh, the IDF has stated that no rocket impact was located in Tel Aviv. Local residents said they heard an explosion following the siren. I don't really know. Uh, we were talking yesterday on the show, on the bonus show about this. Every eight to ten years, there is an escalation that takes place with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And typically, it is a, 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 has kind of a normal uh, ebb and flow to it. It's not clear, given the mobilization of the ground troops, if this is going to escalate into something more. And if so, what will be the U.S. involvement? Will this be more of a distraction from the possibility of actual, have actual peace eventually? Or would a confrontation maybe expedite that process? It is hard to, in the U.S., given our experience with wars in the U.S., it's hard to believe that war is a good way of making peace. So we, we are still getting information. We're going to continue following this. And of course, over the weekend and Monday, we'll have information about it on the David Pakman Show discussion, all of that stuff. Peace, my mind. My heart is still blind. But this summer haze will fade. And I'll find the clarity I crave. Into the wintry shivers, shimmering rivers, bring me quaking quivers. Into the nights of darkness when the park is just a dance for chances Up into my room, the bare unfettered floor Brings me to my watch, multiplying evermore And the skies arise and fall around me Bring me to my bed with every note resounding Just to give you an update on what's going on in uh, in Gaza, the Israelis supposedly responding to um, rocket attacks coming from the Gaza Strip assassinated the uh, military chief of Hamas. And like I said earlier in the program, Hours before, uh, this is from Haaretz, near Hassan has reported, hours before Hamas strongman Ahmed Jabri was, uh, Jabari was assassinated, he received the draft of a permanent truce agreement with Israel, which included mechanisms for maintaining the ceasefire in the case of a flare-up between Israel and the factions in the Gaza Strip. This is according to Israeli peace activist 
Gershon Baskin, who helped mediate between Israel and Hamas the deal to release Galid Shalit, who was that uh, soldier. Uh, Hamas obviously has, is dealing with, uh, while it is anomaly, the, uh, the leadership of Gaza, there's a lot of militant uh, factions that make up Gaza, which is not terribly surprising. Seeing as how if you sequester a, a bunch of people basically in a ghetto and uh, allow only the uh, sparses of economic activity to take place there, and um, cut them off from the world, uh, people uh, tend to have a problem with that. We should say that uh, rocket attacks uh, coming from Hamas have killed three Israeli civilians, uh, one of whom was a child. Um, Israel said that 15 Palestinians had been killed, nine of them militants, which uh, would lead me to believe that six of them at least were uh, innocent civilians, and uh, children amongst them as well. Um, most observers, from what I've seen, basically see this as, as just internal domestic politics. Bibi Netanyahu is worried about the social unrest that is taking place in that country. We've talked about it in the past. Protests, people setting themselves on fire. Um, and so the best thing to do to get people not worried about, um, about their domestic economic situation is apparently um, to create boogeymen and make a, an issue of national security. And I imagine it'll work there just like it seemed to work here for eight years. Maybe six. I'm speaking of the 2000s. Uh, so hopefully this will not escalate. Supposedly uh, the Israeli Defense Forces have put... Um, the reserves on notice, but I imagine there's some posturing involved in that. Apparently, the um, Israeli Defense Forces were uh, rockets are now hitting Tel Aviv. Is that right? All right, it's being reported that now rockets are hitting Tel Aviv from Gaza, which is um, bad news because that's going to make it uh, very bad news. That's going to make it much more likely that this is going to escalate and uh, Reuters says that uh, chief military spokesman says that a rocket did not strike Tel Aviv. Oh, they retracted that? Well, so they, they retracted that? It didn't get into Tel Aviv? I, I, that's what it says here. Rockets have gone in Israel. I, don't, I saw a report oh, that right. in Tel Aviv, but three Israelis have been uh, killed since they, they started. Uh, yes, that's yeah. what I just said. Michael, that late breaking news. Now, there's disputes as to whether or not rockets have hit Tel Aviv. Let's put it that way. Uh, so hopefully this will, will be contained in some fashion. It's a bit weird seeing uh, the IDF and Hamas both going at it on Twitter while this is happening. Apparently the IDF was suspended from uh, Twitter. Yes, they were because they basically were, were tweeting Threatening th people. threats. Yes. Did you see what I, that link I sent you where they set up a social media game? where you can join their virtual army and you go up the ranks for spreading their news, for spreading their information and their tweets and their oh Facebook my statuses. God. Seriously? Yes. I mean, the, the gamification is actually sort of a good idea uh, if you have a podcast. 
or or any other business that isn't war. Yeah. It's like Foursquare for bloodthirsty people. I hope I cut myself shaving tomorrow. I hope it bleeds all day long. Our friends say it's darkest before the sun rises. We're pretty sure they're all wrong. I hope it stays dark forever. I hope the worst isn't over. And I hope you blink before I do. And I hope I never get sober. And I hope when you think of me years down the line, you can't find one good thing to say. And I'd hope that if I found the strength to walk out, you'd stay the hell out of my Military attacks and other violence in the Gaza Strip and Israel have resulted at this point in over a dozen deaths, most of them Palestinians, and sparked fears of an Israeli ground invasion similar to the 2008-2009 assault that claimed over a thousand Palestinian lives. The past 24 hours of violence, as we taped November 15th, were sparked by Israel's killing of Hamas military leader Ahmad al-Jabari on Wednesday. Looking back, a timeline of recent events on the website Electronic Intifada indicates that Israeli forces killed an unarmed man in Gaza on November 4th and a 13-year-old boy on November 8th. Gaza militants injured four Israeli soldiers in an attack on November 10th, and Israel's three-day response killed five civilians, three of them children. A tentative truce appeared to be in place as of the 13th of November, the next day, Israel killed Ahmad al-Jabari. There might be a number of ways to present that information, but sadly, there's little mystery as to how the U.S. press will do it. Conventional corporate media timelines almost invariably stress that Israel is responding to violent attacks by Palestinians, whatever the facts. No surprise, then, that the first sentence of the front-page New York Times article, November 14th, states that the Israeli assault came, quote, after persistent Palestinian rocket fire, close quote. Or that on NBC Nightly News, Martin Fletcher told viewers, quote, Israel said it had no choice after Palestinians in Gaza fired at least 100 rockets at Israel in the last five days, close quote. On NPR's All Things Considered, Adi Cornish explained that, quote, the strikes were in retaliation for the launching of more than 100 rockets at Israel in recent days, close quote, and so on. Listeners should remember, as they read these accounts, that when journalists explain what caused what, they're making a choice about when to start the clock. Israel has just launched an offensive on Wednesday uh, against the Gaza Strip. Uh, there had been some rockets fired into Israel. Uh, there were about eight people that were hurt. Nobody had gotten killed. So, of course, Israel decided that they would do massively disproportionate strike back, as has uh, been the case for a while now. Last time they did an incursion into the Gaza Strip, 
some Israelis had definitely been hurt through that whole process. 13 were killed, in fact. Uh, that's why they killed 1,400 Palestinians, uh, over a 100 to 1 ratio. And of course, the U.S. said, yay, and cheered on. Uh, were civilians killed? Absolutely. But when Palestinians kill civilians, they're terrorists. When Israelis kill civilians, it's just collateral damage. So uh, I'm not in favor of killing civilians on either side. I think it's grotesque. So what's happening this time around? Well, uh, one of the Israeli leaders said some of the Israelis were having trouble sleeping at night because of the really primitive rockets that the Hamas was firing in. Now, should Hamas fire rockets into Israel? Absolutely not. And eight people actually did get hurt. So is it a serious issue? No question about it. Does it re uh, mean that Israel should resort to this kind of strike back? Obviously, uh, I don't think so. So let me begin to tell you uh, what has happened. The Hamas military chief, Ahmed Jabari, has been assassinated. He's been killed. Now, we're about to show you what Israeli defense forces put up on YouTube. They're not just bragging about this. Obviously, they're trying to intimidate the other side. Uh, but they're actually showing video of his murder. Uh, so this is what they put up on their own YouTube account. You're going to see a bomb. The person, two people inside the car will be killed. There was a Hamas photographer. I'm sure he had it coming, too. Uh, but I'm just giving you a warning. That is what's going to happen. It's quick. Here it is. So uh, they're proud about how pinpoint this accuracy on their bombs are, and boom, of course, he was killed uh, immediately, and they dragged out pieces of his body from that wreckage. Now, a lot of people say he was a terrorist, and they will celebrate. Uh, and you see the aftermath right there. Uh, now, of course, the Hamas uh, and some of the Palestinians thought that he was one of their political leaders. Now, Hamas did win the elections in the Gaza Strip. Of course, elections are just for our allies. Uh, if we don't agree with what your democratic elections came up with, well, then we get to execute your leaders. Now, he, people will say he's their military leader. Okay, well, Ehud Barak is the military leader of Israel. He's their defense minister. Now, what do you think would be Israeli reaction, U.S. reaction, world reaction, if Hamas assassinated Ehud Barak? How many thousands of people would they kill in the Palestinian territories? That would be completely unacceptable, and they would be terrorists, right? But killing Hamas's military leader, well, he had it coming. And, oh, the photographer, collateral damage. Okay, now, were there uh, bombs so smart? Well, I don't know. Unless they intended these consequences, we'll have to ask them about it, because it turns out there are a great number of deaths that have happened, because that bomb was not the only one. Now, the health ministry uh, inside the Palestinian territories say that 10 people including three children were killed uh, because they did a series of bombings uh, and about 40 were wounded and um, among the dead were an 11 month old baby and a woman pregnant with twins but I'm sure they all had it coming now if you don't believe the health ministry Reuters reports that seven people including two girls under the age of five were killed but I'm sure they all had it coming you see when Arabs or Muslims kill civilians they're terrorists when Israel does it those civilians, including five-year-old girls, well, they were just collateral damage. Now, did they launch the rockets into Israel? No, of course not. Did they have anything to do with the rockets launched into Israel? Did the 11-month-old have anything to do with that? No, but they had to be killed because Israel wanted to send a message. And what exactly is that message? What are you sending to the world about who you are, what kind of country you are? Now, the Palestinians through their representatives in the West Bank, have actually asked for something enormously reasonable, 
they have asked for statehood. Now, remember that Israel says, my God, I can't negotiate with the Palestinians because some of them don't recognize my right to statehood. While Israel is literally at this point in time blocking statehood for the Palestinians. One is, some Palestinians don't accept it in theory, although it's a reality. The other is, I don't want it to be a reality and I will use the power of the United States to make sure that it doesn't become a reality. They tried doing it through the Security Council and the U.S. of course vetoed it uh, because we were told by our uh, allies in Israel to do that. Now, uh, the Palestinians, since they couldn't do it through the Security Council, are going to the General Assembly. They're going to ask on November 29th this year, uh, 2012 of course, to uh, get statehood through the General Assembly. To, now, they won't have all the full rights that they would if they went through the Security Council, but hey, it's a step in the right direction, if you ask me. Uh, now, I mentioned 1947 because on that same exact day, November 29th of 1947, 65 years earlier, that is exactly how the State of Israel was formed. The United Nations took a vote, and they said, okay, Israel is now a state. When the Palestinians asked for the same exact treatment as the Israelis, the Israelis and the U.S. says, how dare you? How dare you? Don't you know your place? Your place is to stay in the Gaza Strip and have your children be bombed because Israel wanted to send a message. Now, uh, not only uh, are they bragging through YouTube, the Israeli Defense Forces has a Twitter account, and how absurd is this? And they're sending taunting messages. At one point, you start to get embarrassed by this. If I was an Israeli citizen, I would be mortified by the actions of my state. As a United States citizen, I'm mortified that we back this 100%. Uh, we've, uh, President Obama made a deal with them for Iron Dome, uh, so that even the ineffectual missiles of Hamas does not reach Israel. Now, that's a good thing. I don't want those missiles to reach Israel. I don't want any civilians hurt under any circumstances, right? But Israel says, haha, we have Iron Dome. And it has blocked most of your missiles, which now Hamas fired back a lot of missiles, and most of them uh, were knocked out of the sky. And then they say, we're going to bomb you anyway. Even though we have Iron Dome, and your missiles are incredibly ineffectual, it doesn't matter. Death and destruction is headed your way anyway. And then they go to Twitter and just rub it in a little bit more. Uh, they say, we recommend that no Hamas operatives, whether low-level or senior leaders, show their faces above ground in the days ahead. And then... All Qasem Brigades uh, responds, our blessed hands will reach your leaders and soldiers wherever they are. You opened hell gates on yourselves. Now, that's absurd. No, they didn't. And you won't reach them at all. They'll keep reaching you at a much more effective rate. I know they're angry and they're, you know, full of bluster and, oh, yeah, we're going to kill you too, etc. But you're not. You're weaker than them. And, you know, you might hate that fact. But Israel has the enormous military backing of the United States. They have F-16s. And you have these pewter little missiles, most of which get knocked down by Iron Dome now anyway. So you can yell and scream about the gates of hell, but it isn't going to do you any good. In fact, they'll turn around, and after they kill the kids, they'll turn around and say, you see that? Look at these Palestinians. They want to open up the hell, get gates of hell. You see, it's all their fault. They're violent. Because after we kill them, they got angry. It's dumb. The Al-Qasim Brigade's uh, threats are dumb. Sending the missiles into Israel is dumb. It's counterproductive. The right way to do it is through the United Nations. You go and you peacefully ask for the most legitimate thing you could possibly ask for, which is the dignity of your own state. And of course, what does Israel say? Quote, 
Israel and U.S. strongly oppose the effort, saying all matters must be resolved through negotiations. Now, what a joke that is. Now, that's just a reporter at the Associated Press reporting on what Israel and U.S. is saying. What negotiations? What negotiations can they go to? When they go to negotiations, Israel goes, Nah, I didn't. I still hear there's a Palestinian somewhere that doesn't agree that Israel should be a state. Ha ha, no negotiations for you. Uh, I'm going to continue to build settlements in the West Bank. I'm going to build them in East Jerusalem. I'm about to build a park with a greatly insulting name about, Ha ha, you don't even know what we're doing. And I'm going to take Palestinian land to do that. I'm going to do uh, bombings in the Gaza Strip. I'm going to do every degradation I possibly can. By the way, the occupation itself is state-sponsored violence. When you say to someone, I'm going to build on your land, and if you come on that land, I'm going to kill you, that is state-sponsored violence. That is a threat of violence that is, in fact, a legal definition of violence. If you did that here in America and you said to somebody you're going to kill them, you would be arrested. And Israel, as a state, says it all the time. I have this land. You can't have it. Here are your uh, border controls. If you go uh, past that border in a way I don't authorize, if you do this, this, or that that I don't authorize, I will either arrest you or kill you. That is state-sponsored violence. Okay, But then they say, oh, go to negotiations which don't even exist. And then finally, uh, the Vice Premier Yalon of uh, Israel says that if the Palestinians ask for statehood, if they dare ask for legal statehood, a peaceful solution, quote, we must take steps to make it clear there will be a heavy price. So if you do violence and you do the bombs, which I, I, I think is dumb and wrong and immoral, they say, well, you see that the Palestinians are doing violence, there will be a heavy price. If you don't do the violence and you do the same exact thing Israel did to try to get statehood through the United Nations, there will be a heavy price. I don't know why the Palestinians would complain about anything with Israel. They seem like such benevolent uh, occupiers. Why don't you just accept your occupation, bow your head, and have them run all over you and possess your land for the rest of time? How dare you speak out? This is a monumental injustice. How long is the United States going to be behind this kind of injustice? Unfortunately, the answer is very, very long. I cannot see an end to this. And as a U.S. citizen, it makes me sick. I'm sick with wanting, and it's evil and it's daunting. Now I let everything I cherish lay the waste. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Here's a two-part quiz for you. Late last week, Congress weighed in on Israel's bombing of Gaza. 
Question number one, how many House members voted to condemn that bombing? And question number two, how many members of the Senate voted to condemn it? Well, if you guessed anything but zero in zero, you flunked the quiz, because both the House and the Senate passed an identical resolution by a unanimous vote that said that each chamber strongly supports Israel's inherent right to act in self-defense to protect its citizens against acts of terrorism. The only violence the resolution condemned was the violence from Hamas, not a peep about Israel's violence, not a word about the suffering the Palestinians Palestinians are enduring or have endured. You can't get any more lopsided than this. No wonder Benjamin Netanyahu loves to come to speak before Congress. He's got him in his pocket. But this unconditional support for brutal Israeli actions won't make Israel any safer. As Israeli peace activist Uri Avneri says, the real remedy is peace, peace with the Palestinian people. He notes that Hamas has already agreed to peace if there's a Palestinian state along the 1967 borders that's approved in a Palestinian referendum. But Israel and the U.S. Congress don't seem to want to give peace a chance. They vote time after time for war. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. On these trips, I saw the people together stand against it. We, the children on the front line, chanting down the fence. Yes, we're chanting. Let's get to beyond this truce and ceasefire, longer term, okay? First of all, we need to be very clear on one thing. Having as a baseline that Israel should not exist as a country is not going to lead to long-term peace. It's just not. Now, uh, uh, the top leader of Hamas has declared that, that he's dared Israel to uh, launch a ground invasion. And on, every time we talk about negotiations, Hamas refuses to even... Uh, uh, accept that Israel has a right to exist. Now, you, we can have discussions over how Israel was created. We can have discussions over how the United States was created via a land grab from the Native Americans and a huge slaughter. However, if when talking about what should happen next in Afghanistan with the U.S. military, we had factions that were simply saying, hold on a second, Afghanistan? The U.S. shouldn't even exist. They took the land from, from the Native Americans. We would not have progress. So, pragmatically speaking, the United Nations has determined that Israel as a country exists. Maybe some people feel it is more relevant to question that because it's more recent in history. Not enough years have passed. But I can guarantee you, and you guys can disagree, we're not going to see progress if we can't at least put that part of the argument aside. Right, regardless of your beliefs, uh, I mean, the general consensus across the globe is that Israel is a country, and it exists where it stands and that's not going to change. Right. That, that, that most countries exist because of so-called land grabs and violence. The fact that the Israeli one happened more recently is not going to get peace there any sooner if we continue to hear 
Well, Israel just shouldn't exist, so that's the precondition for negotiation. Uh, should we look at uncreating the United States? How far is this going to go? In World War II, should we have questioned whether uh, uh, we, the Allies really were valid based on how those countries were created? We're just not going to get anywhere. We need to think pragmatically. Now, the Palestinian side is not well served by Hamas. If we want to get to the logistics, we are not going to get too far. As I mentioned, Hamas does not even recognize that Israel exists, essentially. As NPR reported, support for Hamas uh, uh, by, from Palestinians is continuing to decrease. Hamas has praised Osama bin Laden as a holy warrior. Hamas mourned the death of Osama bin Laden. Hamas's rockets have Iran's fingerprints all over them. The, the longer-range rockets are Iran-manufactured and being shipped in through Egypt. So what would it take pragmatically for the Palestinians to have representation from someone serving their interests better than Hamas? I don't know what it would take. It would take the fall of Hamas. Natan, what's your thought? I think what we need, if it's going to be, if Israel is going to negotiate a peace with Hamas, uh, in other words, if Hamas stays in power, Hamas needs to ask for, in other words, it needs to accept no preconditions to a negotiation, and Israel needs to accept sitting down with Hamas, even if before the negotiations begin, Hamas may or may not be in favor of an Israeli Jewish state. So they need to I, just I sit agree. down so with no preconditions. We need some concessions here from both sides. And ladies and gentlemen, this needs to happen if we're going to have so-called peace. Now, many people will say the only barrier to peace is Israel or the only barrier to peace is Hamas. Both would be completely wrong on this, on this issue because you can make a case for saying which came first. In other words, uh, Israel started an oppression of Gaza and that's why all the rockets are coming, which is why Israel is then defending itself. Others would say... Hamas has said that Israel does not have a right to exist and that they will continue until Israel is destroyed, and that is the catalyst. At this point, we need to, to get both sides to say, let's have a negotiation. We need to get people at the table. Now, I, I am not against Hillary. The idea there was controversy earlier today over whether Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton would be the best person to go over there and negotiate. Or maybe it would be Bill Richardson, the former New Mexico governor who has a lot of experience with these issues. He's been to North Korea numerous times in negotiations there. I don't know who the third parties need to be. What I know, and again, disagree, opportunity for both of you, both sides need to make some concessions if we're going to move forward at all. Look, the problem... I, I'm going to come out and say I believe the problem is Hamas because I do not believe that Hamas wants peace. Hamas wants land. And Hamas is using very specific tactics like firing rockets out of civilian, uh, dense civilian areas because when rockets come back and kill those civilians, they use that as a tool to say, look what Israel's doing. I do not think the Palestinians as a whole may very well want peace, but I do not believe. No question. I do not believe that Hamas does. So well, it's a good thing that popularity for Hamas is, is on the decline. Right, and we have to we have to also consider this idea that uh, we 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 we're not going to also get anywhere by suggesting that the the solution is more escalation. Do you guys agree with that? In other words, some people would sit back and say, what we need is either Hamas to get some much better rockets from Iran through Egypt and really make a dent in Israel, or we need Israel to use the firepower we know they have and simply wipe out Gaza, okay? Do you, I don't think that's a solution. I don't think an escalation is a solution here. Not at all. What Israel is doing is they are trying to destroy the rocket sites that they believe are currently threatening Israel. If Israel wanted to, in the snap of a finger, they could wipe out all of Gaza. Uh, they could wipe out all the Palestinians uh, in a flash. 
Uh, they haven't done that. So I think people need to take that into consideration. Obviously, the Israelis also do not want bloodshed. Natan, last thing on this. Discussions of who God promised different pieces of land to, I believe that has no place in negotiations going forward. Am I right? And is it reasonable to think we could get to that point? Yes, um, you're right. And also, you know, the international community does not uh, respect or even really acknowledge those types of arguments. They only acknowledge the political arguments that will lead to a peace between two sides and two civilian populations. So you can use those arguments, but those arguments are not going to be um, acknowledged or used in the actual negotiations. Agreed. So that's where we're at right now. We're going to see this truce, which, of course, as we know, how long will it last? We don't know. We need to move to longer-term solutions. We'll continue talking about it. Send in your emails. Tell me where I'm wrong. Say where Lewis is wrong or Natan is wrong. Uh, let's think about this critically here and not jump to say, any time that we are hearing blame for anything placed solely on one side, I'm probably going to disagree with you. All right. That, that's, that's just the reality. Okay, what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is, this, is this the that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what? None of us know what the what what's good about this show. What we know is we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious. I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. Attack dogs of war. Once again, Israel is in a rage, bombing a weaker Arab neighbor, one that would be hard-pressed to face the most powerful armed force in the Middle East. And once again, the U.S., playing the unconvincing role of neutrality, arms and shields one side, using the dual weapons of war and words to batter and pummel the other. In the American mind, especially after 9-11, to be Arab, as the Palestinians are, is the media equivalent of evil. And if so facto, the Israelis must be good. And so the corporate media plays it as drama. But Israel is no David here. They are Goliath, armed to the teeth bristling in armor, and able to whip anybody in the neighborhood. In fact, they are the Middle East's only nuclear power, although undeclared. Palestine, embattled Palestine, is like prey before a hyena, and the U.S. is dousing the prey with barbecue sauce. The U.S. is Israel's greatest enabler and sends over $5 billion a year to keep their military in shape. Israel has the 10th most powerful army on earth. They have 3,501 battle tanks and almost 400 fighter jets and military aircraft. They have over 175,000 active troops. This is Goliath on steroids. And guess who the U.S. empire is supporting? Not Gaza. Gaza, about the size of Detroit, with double its population plus, has been occupied by Israel since 1967. And Israeli power controls and limits its economy, the movement of its population, its water, and its contacts with foreigners. Some have called Gaza and the West Bank little more than open-air prisons. The jailer? Israel, with U.S. assistance. When this war is over, and perhaps thousands are dead, the peace that emerges will be a false peace. Nothing but a prelude to the next war.
from Imprisoned Nation. This is Mumia Abu Jamal. The Israeli attacks on the Gaza Strip have at this point killed over 100 Palestinians. On the Israeli side, three deaths have been recorded from rockets fired from Gaza. But some media accounts still strive to present a kind of symmetry. A November 15th Washington Post headline read, Civilians in Gaza, Israel, Suffer Amid Conflict. The paper told readers, quote, As the Israeli military assault ramped up and militants retaliated with rockets, civilians on both sides faced painful but all-too-familiar scenes, close quote. At the time the story was filed, 16 Palestinians had been killed. The Israeli deaths, according to one government official, were entirely preventable had the victims followed the emergency instructions they were given. But some media accounts still strive for some kind of balance. A Los Angeles Times article on November 17th led with this, quote, Back and forth violence between Israel and Hamas left civilians on both sides digging out of rubble and broken glass Saturday as the conflict entered its fourth day, close quote. At that point, 38 Palestinians had been killed. In Israel, meanwhile, a rocket attack caused minor injuries to three. No one should minimize the fear of living anywhere where bombs or rockets are falling. But given the one-sided death toll of the attacks on Gaza, three Israeli deaths and over 120 Palestinians, media accounts that try to paint a balanced picture present an entirely false reality. But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who find they can't take any and they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there are lights in the balance The historic ceasefire in Gaza Strip, uh, I call it historic because it's been happening throughout history, the ceasefire. <laughs> uh, every couple of months or a couple of you know, weeks, whatever it is, there's uh, some sort of conflict, uh, there's killings on both sides, it doesn't go anywhere, and then uh, we condemn this, we condemn that, then we have a ceasefire, and we pretend like we got something accomplished. So here's the latest uh, ceasefire that we accomplished. The ceasefire will start at 9 p.m. at Cairo time. Cairo time. Today, Wednesday, November 20, uh, 21st, 2012. So, um, I don't, what did you think the big news of this? So you, you made the point that they've been doing this since 19, you said 88, I think since 1968. Yeah, it's right? been going on forever, but I, I picked 1988 because back then Jenk and I were in high school. And in one of our classes, we should discuss this issue ad nauseum. Back then, it was the Intifada, really? and it was Palestinians on the West Bank throwing rocks, and Israelis responding with bullets and rubber bullets. And we used to have these raging debates on, you know, who's right, who's wrong. 
And my, com my point to you off, off air today is that nothing has changed in 25 years. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed, except for the name PLO is now replaced by Hamas. But other than that, it's the exact same set fact pattern, exact same stuff happening back and forth, where uh, these Palestinians uh, engage in these idiotic, stupid, ineffective attacks on Israel, uh, on Israeli um, land, where they shoot these pointless rockets. And they shoot, fire off like 200 rockets, and they kill like three Israelis. And then Israel responds with just, you know, massive. a massive, uh, of, you know, strike back. So they drop the hammer, and then a thousand or so Palestinians die. Right. And then, and then everyone, you know, wrings their hands like, oh my God, this is a tragedy. What can be done? And then the U.S. gets involved, and the U.S. condemns, uh, you know, terrorist acts. They always uh, talk about uh, about Israel's right to defend itself. Right. And then they, you know, go on and on about how the U.S. has unyielding and unbending support for Israel. And then there's some sort of ceasefire, and then things kind of quiet down. It gets out of the news cycle, and then it starts up again. It's been 25 years in my of my lifetime, and I don't see any path forward for any improvement. Do you see anything so, different? No, I don't see the. I think the problem is that uh, we talked about this before the show. Is that there's uh, leaders that don't want peace. And there was a time when there were uh, bef uh, a while ago when Yasser Arafat was still with us, and uh, there was close to a peace deal. And then a lot of people uh, say that he screwed it up on purpose because he needs to have that war uh, to to keep his power. Right now they're saying the same thing with the Likud party in uh, Israel. Right, that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and they don't really want peace. That they they really want war. And if there's peace. That that's the end for their reason for being right. So that's right. So so the Likud party, I mean, they exist for the purpose of waging war against uh, the Palestinians. They exist for the purpose of keeping the rest of Israel safe. Uh, and imagine imagine a world where there was complete peace in the Middle East. Right. Right. Uh, Likud has nothing to offer. Right. I mean, their platform is based on. The, uh, the never-ending encroachment of uh, Israeli settlements into the Palestinian uh, territories. Their, uh, their uh, platform is all about keeping Israel safe from the terrorists. And if that all goes away, then there's no point for their existence. Same thing on the Palestinian side. Now, Hamas was elected in a, dem in a democratic election. They beat Fatah. Um, Fatah probably would have won if there was peace in the Middle East, but Hamas won because there isn't peace. So there was a democratic the election. Mm -hmm. The Palestinian people elected Hamas, right? So they're elected. That's now correct. the United States says, uh, we want democracy except when democracy doesn't work out like we like. And so it didn't work out like the United States wanted this time. They elected Hamas. So Hamas is, is officially a terrorist organization. The United States labels them as a terrorist organization. So even though democracy happened and they elected them, the United States says, we don't recognize your democracy because it didn't work out the way we wanted. So even right now during this crisis, Hillary Clinton is not speaking to the leader of Hamas. She's speaking to the PL, a PLO leader, right? And uh, yeah, I know, I know, isn't that, that's how they're getting this broker, they're brokering this deal. Isn't that crazy? Well, it, it, it's, it's a crisis of leadership there because, uh, like I said, the Likud party is interested in, in war. Uh, Hamas is interested in war. And the U.S. is also interested in war. Yes, because, yes. Because uh, the U.S., uh, I mean, we have a lot to gain. Well, uh, not we as in the collective we, the United States. You mean the military-industrial military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. uh, we send $3 billion of aid to Israel every year. And that goes to them in the form of arms. 
and who makes all that money? The, the defense contractors. Right. So there is a massive incentive to keep, uh, keep fomenting this, uh, this conflict. I mean, if it all goes away, all that money goes away. Right. So you got to follow the money. Right. And, and, the, and the way the United States uh, has been um, dealing with our policy in the Middle East has been just atrocious because we are always on Israel's side, always. And I have a real problem with that because imagine, imagine a parent with two children and imagine that you as a parent is always on the side of one kid. Well, that kid has an incentive to be a complete asshole. I mean, there's no downside to not being an asshole because dad's always on his side anyway. That the other kid also has an incentive to be an asshole because it doesn't matter how good he is, dad's right. never on his side anyway. Right. So that, so that perpetuates the conflict, perpetuates the violence, and it, and it keeps the status quo where, the, where people who are benefiting keep, continue to benefit. That, to me, is the real problem of the problem in the Middle East. Now, we need to have real leadership. There has to be a two-state solution. I mean, it's crazy to not have that. So the Palestinians are crazy to pretend that they can erase history and right. wipe Israel off the map. I mean, they're crazy to think that. And Israel is crazy to think that they can indefinitely occupy people forever. Right. You need to have a two-state solution. It has to be driven by the U.S. And we are failing miserably, miserably. at mm -hmm. every level of making that happen. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Let's talk about Israel-Palestine. Some of the most tragic stories to come out of the, the area lately. Uh, ten members of one family were killed in his, during an Israeli airstrike. That was the one just like their house was shelled, right? Yeah, mostly women and children. So it, these are people staying inside the house. Yeah. They, they don't have... Hamas isn't using them as human shields. Like we hear, they weren't like riding motorcycles. They weren't somehow abetting terrorists. They were doing the safe thing. They were in their homes. So you bring up the human shields soundbite, and that is used a lot in the mainstream media. Here's what that means. Uh, there are a shitload of people living in Gaza. Um, I think it's like one point... Do you remember the actual no, figure? No, but it's... But it's it, a very small area. It's the size of Washington, D.C. Right. And it's like... I, what's the word? The most densely populated? Yeah, is that the word? most densely populated. You have the most people packed into one very small space. So what that means is anytime Hamas fires a rocket and Israel counterstrikes, they're inevitably almost guaranteed to kill civilians. And what is, Israel says is... Well, if you're shooting rockets amongst a d densely populated area, you're using civilians as a human shield. But, I mean, they, they really, if they're going to try to defend themselves, there's really, and they do shoot rockets, right. it's inevitable that civilians are going to be killed. And they're not it, 
overtly trying to use like this family as a human shield. It's kind of like you go to see Lincoln and it's really crowded, right? And you don't have much room to move. And then somebody shoots a rocket. Uh, so this marked the deadliest single attack and worst civilian tragedy since the current fighting in the Gaza Strip began last week, um, the LA Times reports. And another horrific story, um, Israel missiles blasted a tower block that houses many international media for a second straight day. So the first time it happened, maybe they could have said, oh, it was an errant missile. We didn't mean to target media which uh, is not allowed. You cannot do that. For the second straight day, they um, blasted this media building, and there are reports that um, some journalists were killed. Jesus. So, uh, I mean, this is really horrific. Well, at the same time, I was watching CNN this morning. Sorry, my only research was I was was at my mother's house watching CNN at 7 in the morning, and she's like, Anderson. (laughs) Um, But they had Robert Wexler on who is a uh, a congressman, and he was giving all of the sound bites. You know, Hamas wants Israel wiped off the face of the planet, uh, human shields, rockets, blah, blah, blah. He's like, if Israel had their way, there would be peace and their shield. If Hamas had their way, like, all the Jews would be dead. And then they go to show his little title, and there's a little D, because he's a Democrat and... Uh, an advisor to Barack Obama. Right. So when you have the supposed side of peace, not just... I mean, you, yeah. Not, I, not, not just not siding uh, for peace, but spewing like blatant uh, warmonger propaganda, you have to turn to independent media. I mean, who thinks the Democrats are the voice of peace at this point? <laughs> I mean, moderate Democrats who don't... Like, who aren't activists, who aren't, like, like people like our parents. Authorizing the invasion of the Iraq war, expanding the war in Afghanistan, drone strikes, like, how many different warmongering tactics? Because because they watch the mainstream news, and they see a Democrat who was on their team, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, saying these things, and then they think, well, the Democrats wouldn't support this unless it was necessary. You know what I mean? It's one thing when George Bush goes into Iraq. It's another thing when Barack Obama goes into Pakistan. There must be a reason because Democrats hate war. I mean, you got to remember that the majority of Democrats aren't progressive uh, and and not because they're assholes, but because maybe they don't watch Bill Moyers or Democracy Now! or they certainly don't listen to us. Um, you know, maybe they didn't go down to Occupy. Maybe they're really busy. Maybe they have to take care of their kids and they just watch fucking Brian Williams and listen to Barack Obama. When you hear Barack Obama, Barack Obama doesn't sound like Netanyahu. You know what I mean? He's like Israel has to defend itself, not like we will rain hellfire down. He doesn't sound like George Bush, you know, uh, and all of his fucking comic book rhetoric. So it's like I really do do believe that they think Democrats are the party of peace. So the weird duality that's happening in America right now is you have a lot of people are like, what is Barack Obama going to do in in terms of Israel? Um, but. An important factor in that question is Congress, as you were saying, is, you know, provides near unconditional support for Israel. But at the same time, something's interesting. Something interesting is happening in this country where we have this incredibly um, Zionistic Congress, um, a president that will provide near unconditional support for Israel. Yet CNN just came out with a poll that shows that younger Americans, age 18 to 34, um, so they asked a question, do you think Israel was justified um, 
or unjustified in taking military action against Hamas and the Palestinians in the area known as as Gaza. Um, and 45 percent, um, only 45 percent believed it was justified. So not a majority. Um, and that's really extraordinary because what we're finding in America is that younger people have a much more sympathetic attitude towards Palestinians. Um, but but we have an extreme Congress who believes the polar opposite. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Well, because- it's also interesting because like there are um, generations of Jewish people in America, um, you know, who remember the Holocaust and anti-Semitism and are really really staunch supporters of Israel and think that Israel is under like constant attack and. Uh, you actually don't really have that many, at least in the public, um, of those generations of Palestinians. Right. Uh, w- which I think is really interesting that someone brought up to me at the show yesterday. So I wanted to read this amazing letter that a lot of you sent Jamie and me on Twitter. It's from Gazan Youth. And apparently it was posted on Facebook. It's gone viral. And um, some of the members from the the group, it's called Gaza Youth Breaks Out, sent the letter to Mondo Wise. Uh, They posted it. And so Mondo Wise contacts them and was like, who are you guys? And they responded, we are a group of young people living in Gaza, facing different kinds of violence every day. We are looking for change in our country and trying to taste peace. We can't give you names because we are working undercover and we can't have meetings as well for our safety. But I just want to read this letter because they sound like the biggest bunch of badasses <laughs> ever. And I think a lot of the language is very similar to what we hear in Occupy and and other resistance um, groups all across the globe. So this is the Gazan Youth Manifesto for Change. Fuck Hamas. Fuck Israel. Fuck Fatah. Fuck the UN. Fuck Anwar. Fuck the USA. We, the youth in Gaza, are so fed up with Israel, Hamas, the occupation, the violations of human rights, and the indifference of the international community. We want to scream and break this wall of silence, injustice, and indifference, like the Israeli F-16s breaking the wall of sound. Scream with all the power in our souls in order to release this immense frustration that consumes us because of this fucking situation we live in. We are like lice between two nails, living a nightmare inside a nightmare. No room for hope, no space for freedom. We are sick of being caught in this political struggle. Sick of cold, dark nights with airplanes circling above our homes. Sick of innocent farmers getting shot in the buffer zone because they are taking care of their lands. Sick of bearded guys walking around with their guns, abusing their power. Beating up or incarcerating young people, demonstrating for what they believe in. Sick of the wall of shame that separates us from the rest of our country and keeps us imprisoned in a stamp-sized piece of land. Sick of being portrayed as terrorists, homemade fanatics with explosives in our pockets and evil in our eyes. Sick of the indifference we meet from the international community, the so-called experts in expressing concerns and drafting resolutions, Mm. but cowards in enforcing anything they agree on. We are sick and tired of living a shitty life, being kept in jail by Israel, beaten up by Hamas, and completely ignored by the rest of the world. There is a revolution growing inside of of us, an immense dissatisfaction and frustration that will destroy us unless we find a way of catalyzing this energy into something that can challenge the status quo and give us some kind of hope. The final drop that made our hearts tremble with frustration and hopelessness happened the 30th of November. When Hamas's officers came to Sharek Youth Forum, a leading 
youth organization with their guns, lies, and aggressiveness, throwing everybody outside, incarcerating some, and prohibiting Shrek from working. A few days later, demonstrators in front of Chirac were beaten and some incarcerated. We are really living a nightmare inside a nightmare. It is difficult to find words for the pressure we are under. We barely survived the operation cast lead, where Israel very effectively bombed the shit out of us, destroying thousands of homes and even more lives and dreams. They did not get rid of Hamas as they intended, but they sure scared us forever and distributed post-traumatic stress syndrome to everybody as there was nowhere to run. We are youth with heavy hearts. We carry in ourselves a heaviness so immense that it makes it difficult to, for us to enjoy the sunset. How to enjoy it when dark clouds paint the horizon and bleak memories run past our eyes every time we close them. We smile in order to hide the pain. We laugh in order to forget the war. We hope in order not to commit suicide here and now. During the war, we got the unmistakable feeling that Israel wanted to erase us from the face of the earth. During the last years, Hamas has been doing all they can to control our thoughts, behavior, and aspirations. We are a generation of young people used to, fa- used to facing missiles, carrying what seems to be an impossible mission of living a normal and healthy life, and only barely tolerated by a massive organization that has spread in our society as a malicious cancer disease, causing mayhem and effectively killing all living cells, thoughts, and dreams on its way as well as paralyzing people with its terror regime. Not to mention the prison we live in, a prison sustained by a so-called democratic country. History is repeating itself in its most cruel way, and nobody seems to care. We are scared. Here in Gaza, we are scared of being incarcerated, interrogated, hit, tortured, bombed, killed. We are afraid of living because every single step we take has to be considered and well thought. There are limitations everywhere. We cannot move as we want, say what we want, do what we want. Sometimes we even can't think what we want because the occupation has occupied our brains and hearts so terrible that it hurts. And it makes us want to shed endless tears of frustration and rage. We do not want to hate. We do not want to feel all of these feelings. We do not want to be victims anymore. Enough. Enough pain, enough tears, enough suffering, enough control, limitations, unjust justifications, terror, torture, excuses, bombings, sleepless nights, dead citizens, black memories, bleak future, heart-aching present, disturbed politics, fanatic politicians, religious bullshit, enough incarceration. We say stop. This is not the future we want. We want three things. We want to be free. We want to be able to live a normal life. We want peace. Is that too much to ask? We are a peace movement consistent of young people in Gaza and supporters elsewhere that will not rest until the truth about Gaza is known by everybody in this whole world and in such a degree that no more silent consent or loud indifference will be accepted. This is the Gazan Youth's Manifesto for Change. We will start by destroying the occupation that surrounds ourselves. We will break free from this mental incarceration and regain our dignity and self-respect. We will carry our heads high, even though we will face resistance. We will work day and night in order to change these miserable conditions we are living under. We will build dreams where we meet walls. We only hope that you, yes, you reading this statement right now, can support us. In order to find out how, please write on our wall or contact us directly at freegazayouth at hotmail.com. We want to be free. We want to live. We want peace. Free Gaza Youth. Please consider supporting us by taking one or more of the following actions. And I'll post this in the episode recap so everybody can go there and read it themselves. Um, I think it's an extraordinary <laughs> statement. That was amazing. I mean, 
the way it was written, I mean, obviously it was it was beautiful, it was tragic, uh, it was heartbreaking, but I don't think any of you could dispute the fact that like we would be friends with those kids. You and know? I, that's what's amazing about the internet because it, when our media coverage is so crappy, we don't hear these voices. So they say, okay. We're going to write our own manifesto and boom, it goes viral. And people who ordinarily wouldn't hear these demands or, or hear how extensive the level of suffering is, yeah. like what it does to you psychologically to be occupied. Well, and, and not just the level of suffering. And this may sound, I, I don't know if I can explain this the way I want to, but the media does such a good job of dehumanizing mm-hmm. and making victims the other. Yes. So... You just kind of assume they're all these like, even when not us or our listeners, but like people watching the news, when they say like a kid's going to die, they picture guys and kids just running around like, like with like fucking dynamite strapped to their chest. When in reality, you hear the opening line of that when it says, fuck Hamas, fuck Israel. My first thought is I talk like that. Well, that's, that's how I talk. And this is what reminds me of Occupy, where they're saying they're basically saying, fuck our traditional institutions because they have failed us. Yeah. So they're saying, fuck Israel, fuck Hamas. And, and that's how I mean, Occupy says, fuck the Democrats, fuck the Republicans. Right. Shit is fucked up and bullshit. Everywhere we look, these institutions have failed us. And I mean, it's it, other than being occupied by by Israel and, and you know, the, the blockade and the constant b- bombardment with bombs. There's a lot of similarities in the struggle and the resistance, and that's why I think it's really important that everybody shares this letter, posts it, because it it, it does humanize the Palestinians. This is Dave in Olympia, Washington. I just finished your 1126 episode. At the end, you extend the discussion about starvation and food aid and the problem with world population. Uh, let me preface this by saying that Vicky's comments on GMOs were spot on. So many of the things she articulated, I knew half of those facts. I, I felt that way, but I couldn't capture the totality and I couldn't get my thoughts wrapped around to make a coherent voicemail about it, so thank you to Vicky. But around specifically world population um, and it's such a starvation is obviously depressing, but our inability to effectively grapple with it uh, is equally depressing. And some of this, I mean, makes me sound like Ron Paul, but any outside intervention is likely either to fail or to have really drastic unintended consequences. Even the basics of, you know, feeding starving people, it it does trigger not more reproduction, but that those kids, you know, don't don't starve to death and the youth can grow up and then they're adults in a country without adequate food supplies. The aid programs that exist, even the best ones, are riddled with inefficiencies because they're trying to get into very remote places to governments that aren't always interested in seeing food aid get to those areas that are that are starving. 
the, the introduction of aid itself has all kinds of unfortunate, um, unintended consequences. The one I'm particularly familiar with is the program to send, you know, your used jeans and used shirts over to third world countries. It sounds lovely, but it's really chopped legs out from under, you know, uh, embryonic uh, industries within those countries that would have uh, employed people and ultimately kind of put them on better economic footing. And uh, just to echo your final comments, at the end of the day, groups of animals, people included, reproduce in response to insecurity. And it can be war insecurity. There's a reason Gaza has a very high birth rate. It can be food insecurity. It can be economic insecurity. It's biological. It's not a choice. It's not that people decide that children. Groups of people reproduce more when they're feeling insecure. When they're feeling secure, when they've got a stable job, when they know their food supply is secure, when they're not getting bombed, people have fewer children. And so, yeah, education, wings liberation, those tie into it. But fundamentally, those lead to greater security, which is the underlying thing that uh, will lead to decreased birth rates. Unfortunately, the United States and I think the West in general have shown themselves staggeringly unable to come into foreign countries and introduce stability and security for the people there. Ultimately, the people there need to provide their own security because we're not going to do it. I mean, we may say we're going to, but the second there's a profit motive in them not being secure, well, their security is went out the window to serve our greater need, which is... Mm, Boy, it's depressing, but I, I, that's, that's kind of where, uh, where I am. A lot of foreign intervention, whether it's humanitarian, military, or otherwise, does way more harm than good in general. People's ability to self-determine and to respect their own sovereignty, to pursue their own courses, is probably the, the best long-term solution for a lot of problems. Uh, world population and famine, not the least among them. Anywho, Jay, uh, love the show. As always, stay awesome. Hi, Jay. This is Mara from Pittsburgh. And I wanted to um, comment on the debate about food aid to the starving around the world. I think this issue is much more complicated than any of the commenters, plus the arguments in the book um, you were reading from so far have realized. Humans are not just like all other animals. For one thing, we produce and distribute our own food. So the mother nature argument doesn't work for us. The argument that you read that populations expand and contract in a kind of feedback loop. Because when populations get large, food becomes scarce, causing populations to decrease, and so on. Humans are not like other animals in other ways, too. We do more than simply eat and produce. We move around the globe, occupying land that we have not evolved to coexist with. We participate in economies, trading goods for goods and goods for services. We have governments that make and enforce laws. We have families that extend over many generations. We make reproductive choices. And we have religion. And all of these things, every one of them, are factors that lead to starvation around the world. It seems as though the solutions discussed have been confined to, A, sending food, sending birth control or see some nebulous talk of education. There are, though, of course, 
people who study these things, and the results are quite interesting. So I'll just tell you one of the ones that fascinated me the most. As most religions around the world are patriarchal, which usually means that men control most of the decisions that we uniquely encounter as humans, where to live, what the laws are, etc. But this is also especially true in households. Men usually control the resources of the family unit. What studies done around the world in many different countries have shown is that a lot of interesting things happen in a family when more control of the resources is transferred to the women. So, for example, more money is spent on food and health care for adults and children alike. The women have fewer children, and those children receive more education. And this is with the same amount of resources. The women just distribute it differently. So one result could be that if we gave food directly to women in poor countries, they won't increase the population to just absorb those extra resources and continue the problem of starvation. Actually, they use the resources to help the family that they already have. So I think this is at least one interesting option for a solution to this problem. Thanks, Jay, for everything you do. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or an activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Uh, so please do uh, feel free to continue calling uh, with messages on this topic uh, or any other you may like. I'm happy to continue this conversation if new and interesting insights are, are sent in. Otherwise, you know, maybe uh, you would want to talk about Israel. Uh, my if I had to guess, I would say that this episode might have sparked someone's interest in uh, giving their opinion on that. So feel free to do that as well. In the meantime, I just want to mention uh, something that I have mentioned a few times uh, in the recent past. 350.org is still working on their nationwide tour. Uh, check out details of that at math.350.org. They are the preeminent organization working on climate change, and they're launching a brand new campaign modeled on the uh, South African apartheid divestment campaign to try to do the same thing for fossil fuel companies who are actively working to, uh, you know, destroy the climate by their business model and uh, you know, trick everyone into thinking that they're not doing that with their lobbying dollars and so forth. So check out 350.org or their uh, their big event that's happening right now, maybe coming to a city near you at math.350.org for their Do the Math tour. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone uh, for listening, especially to those who uh, support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is also posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C. My name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.